Have you noticed that whenever people are concerned about their weight or their health or their physical appearance, in our culture, we want immediate results, right? We want something to change right now. We want to see evidence of that what we're doing. We want tangible results right now, right? So we want, you know, 40 days to better abs, you know, or 30 days to lose 30 pounds, or, you know, it's a part of our culture. All these things we want, not just those things, but also our food, and all, we want it instant, we want it now, we want it immediate, you know. Um, we, we, don't, um, we don't necessarily think about how things are going to work for us long term, right? We, we want these immediate results, and often, uh, even if we get those results quickly, we often lose the results as quickly as we get them, because what we've tried hasn't actually produced a healthy lifestyle. It's just, you know, shifted things around for a little bit, and then we get rid of that program, and then we're right back where we were. We're not really in any better shape or any better health than we were when we started. But the opposite is true uh, when it comes to religion. We have the opposite problem, that people don't really want religion to affect their life right now. I want to make sure I go to heaven when I die, and that I have peace you know, when those days are drawing near. So I want it to affect my future, but I don't really want it to affect my life right now. Let's not get in too big of a hurry, right, about, about the Bible or about religion changing my life. I, you know, let's, let's not be too drastic. Why is it that we think about things those way, that way, right? Why is it that we want immediate physical results Right for our health or for our figure or for our appearance or whatever, but when it comes to the things that are going to matter forever, right, that are going to last for eternity, uh, we're not really sure we want to deal with that right now. We're not really sure we want that to change anything right now. But the problem with that is that the gospel cannot change your future without also changing your present. The gospel cannot secure your eternal salvation without affecting the way that you live in the present. The two are tied together inextricably. You cannot separate them. If there's one truth that I want you to walk away from our study of Romans 6 with, and that's where we are this morning, Romans 6, 12, and 14, if there's one truth I want you to walk away from Romans 6 with, it is this. The gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection changes the way we live right now. The gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection shapes our present life. It does not only secure our future salvation, it does that, but it also shapes the way that salvation is worked out in the present. Paul makes abundantly clear from the beginning of chapter 6 that if we belong to Christ, if we have been united to Christ by faith, then we cannot continue to live in sin as we once did before we belong to Christ. Now, we, we will sin, right? And we will sin every day and often multiple times. I mean, not, he's not saying that we will stop sinning. Right, but our relationship to sin has fundamentally changed. 
Once you are saved, you cannot be comfortable with living in sin anymore. Once you are saved, you cannot say, well, God loves to forgive people and I enjoy sinning and so I'm just going to go on sinning and God will keep forgiving me and it works out great for both of us. You cannot have that attitude toward sin once you become a Christian. So uh, he has been uh, telling us throughout the first part of this chapter that just as Jesus died for sin and rose for our salvation, because we have now belong to Christ, we have joined him in that death and resurrection. So our old life has come to an end. We've been crucified with Christ. And we have now been raised to walk in a new life now, even as we wait for the day when we'll be raised bodily from the dead to live with Jesus forever. So um, he's been telling us um, those truths, right, about what has happened to us when we, were, when we trusted in Christ. We died and were raised to a new life. And now in verses 12 and 14, where we're going to be focusing our attention this morning, he tells us what that means for how we live day to day, right? He began to explain that in verse 11, but he really drills down on this in verses 12 to 14. So let me read for us verses 12 to 14 of Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> it says this, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so we know that the gospel changes us now. How should it change us right now? Paul says there in verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. That word therefore tells us that what he's about to say in these verses is a conclusion he wants us to draw from everything he said before. Right, so what he said before is we've died with Christ, we've been raised to walk in new life, and in verse 11 he says, that's how you must think about yourselves. You must think about yourselves as those who have died to sin and are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. And the reason why you have to think about yourselves that way is because you're not always going to feel that way. You don't always feel like your old life is dead and gone. You don't always feel like you've been raised to this new life in Christ. Sometimes you feel like the same old person you always were before. Right? Sometimes uh, Satan wants you to think about yourself in those terms. He wants to tell you, you're not any different. You haven't really changed. Nothing, nothing dramatic has happened. You're still the same old sinner you always were before. Paul says, don't think about yourself that way. You have to think about yourself as someone who has died to sin and been brought to life in Christ. And that's something you have to remind yourself over and over and over. And Reminding yourself that that's true ought to lead you to live a certain way. And the first thing Paul says that we ought to do is actually something we ought not to do. We ought not to submit to sin. Do not let sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, he says. 
Do not let sin reign. It wants to reign. It wants to rule over you. It wants to dominate you. It wants to lure you back to the way you used to live. But you must fight back and resist and refuse to allow sin to rule your life. Uh, um, You remember the story of Cain and Abel, right? The two brothers uh, born from Adam and Eve, the first brothers in the Bible. And we all know how that story turned out, right? We all know that Cain killed Abel. But what you might not remember from that story is before Cain killed Abel, God gave him a warning. God spoke to Cain and he said this to him. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. In other words, sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to control you. Sin wants to tell you what to do. Right? Sin, sin is crouching at the door saying, you need to get rid of that brother. You need to get rid of Abel. He's making your life miserable. He's making you look bad. He's a, he's a terrible person. You, you need to get rid of him. But don't let sin boss you around. You boss it around. You tell sin to get lost, and it's not in charge, and don't, you, can't, you don't get to rule over me. That's what God was telling Cain to do. Of course, he didn't listen to God's advice. He listened to sin instead. But Paul is telling us the same thing that God told Cain. Sin wants to dominate you. Sin wants to rule over you. Sin wants to control you. But you must not let it. You must resist it. Because here's what will happen. If you let sin reign, then the second half of verse 12 says that it will make you obey its passions, meaning the passions of your mortal body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Notice that word obey. People often think that if they do whatever they feel like doing, that's freedom. Whatever, whatever I desire, whatever my body is telling me that I want, that if I pursue those things, if I chase those things, if I get those things, that's real freedom. That's the message being drummed into our ears all through the culture. Right? You get what you desire, what you want, that's where freedom comes. Nobody gets to tell you what to do. Nobody gets to put any limits on you. If your heart desires it, that's what's good for you. But the Bible says that's not freedom. That is a form of slavery. You are obeying your body, your uh, sinful nature, as though it were your boss. You're not free if that's the way that you're living. But sin is ruling over you. Your passions are controlling you. You are obeying something. You're not obeying God, but you are obeying something. I remember Bob Dylan said, everybody's going to serve someone. That's straight out of Scripture. Everybody submits to some kind of master, and Paul says, don't let your master be sin. 
You've been set free from sin. He told us back in verse 6 that the reason we were crucified with Christ was so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, so that we would be set free from that slave master, sin, and we'd be now free to obey Jesus, to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And so he's saying, don't go back to that slavery to sin. All right, think about it like this. Paul is using um, this imagery of slavery all throughout this passage. So let's lean into that a little bit. Imagine someone who was a slave in the South before the Civil War who uh, wanted to be free. I did not want to be a slave anymore. And so he... uh, carefully, covertly, started gathering information from other people about how he could get free, safe places he could go on his way, trying to get north uh, to where he could be free. And, and there were people around him who had tried to escape, who had heard stories about people who had escaped, who knew a bit of information here, a bit of information there, until finally he knew enough that he felt like he, could, he was ready to, to, to make a break for it. And so he fled from his slave master and he got help from people on the Underground Railroad, from abolitionists, from chance people he ran into who were willing to help him, who put their lives at risk to help him get free. And eventually he makes his way to a place where he's no longer subject to anyone. But his master realizes he has escaped and sends out people to hunt for him, sends out, um, you know, descriptions and announcements, uh, advertisements trying to recover him. Uh, His master even finds ways to uh, sort of put the word out that if he comes back, he'll make things better for him. He'll take care of his family that he left behind, all those kinds of things. And, And he starts thinking, maybe I ought to go back. You know, maybe it's too hard to be free. Maybe it's too costly to be free. Maybe, maybe it wasn't so bad back there. Where I, If he starts thinking that way, what are all the people who helped him to escape going to say to him? Don't go back. Don't, don't let him persuade you. Don't let those false promises convince you. Don't let the hardships of freedom uh, make you think that It really wasn't that bad back when you were a slave. You now have your freedom. Persevere in that. Don't go back to that. That, that, That's what Paul is saying to us. God sent his son to purchase your freedom from sin. He died so you could die, so you could be set free from sin. Don't go back to sin and say, never mind. I don't want to be free anymore. I'll do what you say. Don't give up that costly gift that was purchased for you of freedom from sin. Do not let sin reign over you again. Do not let sin be your boss again. Do not go back to that slavery. So he says, don't let sin reign in your body. Don't submit to sin. And then he says in verse 13 that we must present ourselves sort of like a a soldier, you know, standing before his commanding officer. 
You must present yourselves either to sin or to God. So don't present yourself to sin. Present yourself instead to the Lord. Now here he still might be using, um, the imagery he's using here still might be uh, sort of a slave uh, slavery imagery, or it could here be a more military image. I'm going to lean into the military image for a little bit. The reason why I say that, your translation, my translation might say, um, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. That word translated instruments, it can mean uh, a tool, like a tool of you know whatever craft you have, whatever service you perform. It could be that kind of tool, or it could be used to refer to a weapon. Right? In fact, um, this word is related to uh, the word hoplite, which was a kind of soldier that the Greeks had. Um, you've probably seen pictures of a soldier wearing, you know, having a shield and a spear and a bronze helmet and all this. And they would uh, gather together in a phalanx, you know, with shield to shield next to one another. They'd fight together. This word is related to that kind of soldier. So it could refer to a, a weapon. Either way, whether it's talking about, you know, the tools of a slave or the weapons of a soldier, the idea is more or less the same. But let's lean into the, the military image here for a little bit. Do not come to sin as a soldier ready to serve with your members, the parts of your body, yourself, who you are, presenting those to sin and saying, here I am, tell me what you want me to do, give me your orders. That's what he he means when he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, to do sinful things. Now, when he puts it that plainly, you might say, well, of course I'm not going to do that. Of course I'm not going to just, you know, show up in front of sin and say, I'm ready to do whatever you want. You tell me what to do. I mean, I give in to temptation occasionally, but it's not so, so bold and brazen as that. Well, maybe not. But think about it like this. There are times when uh, temptation sort of blindsides us, right? It comes out of nowhere. But there are also times when we deliberately put ourselves in the way of temptation with no plan to resist, and we set ourselves up to sin, right? You're in a place or with a person or in a situation that you know you have zero business in that you know there's probably no way anything good can come out of this. But you almost want something bad to happen, right? I mean, can we all acknowledge we've all probably been put ourselves in a situation like that? That's what Paul is telling us to avoid. Do not set yourself up to sin. Do not sort of let go and put yourself in a situation where you are totally open and totally willing to sin, taking you wherever it's willing to take you. Do not do that, Paul says. Instead, present yourselves to God. So instead of sort of setting yourself up and saying, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I might do any any number of things, and most of them things I have no business doing. Instead, say to the Lord, I belong to you, I'm yours, 
These hands are your hands. This mouth is your mouth. This mind is your mind. This body is your body. I want to go. I want to do. I want to say. I want to think. I want to serve in whatever way you want me to. And Paul says, do that. I love this phrase. Do that as those who have been brought from death to life. In other words, remember that you were spiritually dead. You were cut off from Christ. You had no hope, no salvation, nothing. But God made you alive. God raised you to spiritual life with Christ. He's forgiven your sin. He's made you a new creation. He's given you um, a... Sort of like, a, I mean, we talk about you know, having a second chance or a new lease on life. This is like that to the thousandth degree, right? He has given you new life in Him. So you show up to serve Him as somebody who says, God, before you I had nothing. I was hopeless. I was lost. I was dead. I was condemned. And you have saved me and pardoned me and made me new and given me life and love and joy that I never had any reason to expect and never could have deserved. And so I'm here to do whatever you want me to do. That's how Paul wants us to live. Right? Don't, don't toe the line of sin. Don't, don't sneak into sin's camp and say, you know, I could be easily persuaded to serve here if you just gave me the right opportunity. No, you present yourself before the Lord and say, I'm yours, you saved me, the only reason I'm alive is because of you. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to serve? What do you want me to say? I'm ready. He goes on to say, and your members, present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This body you've given me, this mind you've given me, this life you've given me, it is yours And I want to do with it the things that please you, the things that are righteous, the things that are good. Just point me in the right direction. That's all I need to know. Uh, Again, if we lean into the military metaphor here, part of what Paul is saying is, don't turn traitor. Uh, You have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. You've been brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You have signed up to serve Jesus. Don't go play for the other team. Don't become a traitor and serve sin instead of your Savior. Give yourself wholly to the Lord because your life and your allegiance belong to Him. So don't submit to sin. Right? Instead, present yourself to the Lord as a soldier ready to serve him. And then in verse 14, he gives us some encouraging news. After all this exhortation, right? he says in verse 14, For sin will have no dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. Now, how does that work? I mean, he's just spent two verses telling us over and over and over again not to let sin reign. And then in verse 14, he says, it's not going to reign. So why does he need to tell us not to let sin reign if it's not going to reign? And if sin's not going to get the upper hand, why does he have to tell us not to let it? Well, think about it like this. First of all, sin has no right to rule over you. 
Why? Because of Jesus' death and resurrection on your behalf, because you've been given a new life, sin has no right to rule over you. It has no authority over you. And Paul, uh, Paul says in verse 14, it can't, it won't rule over you, but it wants to. It wants to. And you can let it. But you shouldn't. And if you belong to Jesus, ultimately it won't. But that doesn't mean you don't have to try. Right? If you belong to Jesus, you will trust him all through your life. That's a, that's a guarantee. But it doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, expend some effort. You don't have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. You do have to do that. Even though you know your salvation is secure, you're still responsible for living in light of that salvation. You, sin has no authority over you. It has no right to rule over you. Because of what God has done for you, it won't rule over you, but it's trying, and you have to resist it. Right? You have to uh, fight against it. So sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but under grace. Now that sounds a little uh, counterintuitive, right? We would think that the people who are living under the law would be the people who don't sin, because isn't the law there to tell us not to sin? Well, it is, right? But if you've read uh, and paid attention uh, to what Paul says about the law, you know that the effect the law has on us is not always the effect you would expect. You think the law comes, tells you what not to do, and you go, okay, I won't do that. But in reality, what happens is the law comes and says, don't do that. And you say, I think that's exactly what I'm going to do. Uh, So when we live under the dominion of the law, before Christ, right? when we're under the law and we just have the law telling us what not to do, but giving us no power to obey, what ends up happening is we do exactly what the law says not to. But now, he says, we are under grace. And remember, grace is not just a passive, permissive thing. Grace is a power that raises the dead to life. Grace is a power that enables us to say no to ungodliness. A power that trains us to do what is righteous and right and good. And so Paul says, you're no longer under the law where you were told what not to do but had no power to obey. Now you're under grace where you do have the power to obey and to live a life that pleases God. And because of that transfer that has happened, that you're no longer under the law, but now under grace, you have the power of God present in you, at work in you, enabling you to live a life that pleases God. You're not going to be under the dominion of sin anymore. It will not rule or reign over you anymore. If you belong to Jesus, right? sin has no power or authority. Excuse me, or authority over you. Sin is not going to win. It's not going to have the upper hand, which means that you can fight against sin from a position of victory, of confidence. You don't have to wonder how this fight is going to turn out. You don't have to wonder if you have the power, the strength to resist temptation. You do because it's not your power, it's God's power at work in you. So, Paul's main point here for us, right, is do not surrender to sin. Do not submit to sin. Do not 
wander deliberately into situations and places where you are just waiting for sin to tell you what to do. Be proactive in giving yourself over to the Lord as an obedient servant to God, not to sin, saying to the Lord, you have given me life, so you get to tell me what to do. You get to tell me where to go. You get to tell me what to say. You get to tell me how to live because you are the reason that I'm free. And I have come to understand that what real freedom means is doing what you created me to do. What I thought was freedom when I was living under sin was actually a miserable form of slavery. But when I do what you want me to do, what you have given me new life to do, I find joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. And it's hard sometimes, but it's always worth it. So I am yours and I want to do what you want me to do. So give yourself to Jesus, Paul says, ready to serve him with all that you are, that's how the gospel shapes the way that we live right here, right now. Our old life is dead, crucified with Christ. We've been raised to new life, just as Jesus lives to please the Father, so we live now to please Him as well. Let's pray.